millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, October 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Dr. Dobbs reports progress on COVID-19 vaccinations. Then a Jackson Clinic is ground zero for America's abortion debate. And the ACLU calls for medical marijuana legalization in the state to be accompanied by criminal justice reform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. More than 50% of Mississippians have now received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. But the Magnolia State remains one of the least vaccinated in the nation. The proverbial glass is half full, sure, but it's still half empty. Dr. Thomas Dobbs, the state health officer, urges at least some optimism. I I mean, I I certainly would say it's a half full sort of thing because we also have a subset of folks who have natural immunity. And so if we put those together, it does give us a benefit. But... Even though I hate using the word herd immunity because it's not really applicable to coronavirus, um, we're not near that level. We need to have 90 percent of people in Mississippi immune. One bright spot, the state's health equity efforts over the past several months have been a marked success. Per new reporting from Brittany Brown of MPB and the Gulf States Newsroom, about 48 percent of black Mississippians have now received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. That easily eclipses the national rate of black vaccine uptake. Dr. Dobbs particularly, or partially rather, credits that achievement to the efforts of religious leaders and other prominent figures within the state's African-American communities. He also says he's concerned about low vaccine uptake within other racial and ethnic groups in the state. The Hispanic members of our 
population are not vaccinated at a high enough rate. Um, and, and so certainly we've had um, several distinct challenges trying to make sure that we bring maximal opportunity to some of those folks, especially folks who are um, who, who are maybe a little bit more reluctant to engage official channels in the state of Mississippi. But um, you know, we, we've, we've got good relations. We have a we have a Hispanic task force that's been getting information out. The communication channels are not quite as easy to penetrate. There's there's not like a single like a radio station or a you know yeah. or, or a single group. But you know we we have we have had a, many many events where we we focus on the Hispanic population and have gotten good vaccination. Um, the other group, I think, with the Vietnamese and the Asian population, we've been very successful. But and part of that's because uh, well they've engaged it very aggressively, but also that we have long-standing strong relationships with them. Over the past few weeks, Governor Tate Reeves and other Republican leaders have criticized federal and municipal vaccine mandates for workplaces. Reeves predicts mass resignations in some key industries if mandates are enforced. Dobbs says he's keeping a close eye on the situation. You know, OSHA is going to come out with a rule pretty soon that it's either testing or vaccine. And we're just waiting to see what that's going to look like. Um, you know, we, we have not mandated anything from the health department and don't have any intention of it. We're just waiting on seeing what the federal people say. But I will say, kind of to your point um, about in the healthcare setting, you know, especially like in long-term care, you know, you really need to have folks vaccinated because you're taking care of vulnerable people. It's not just about you. It's about these vulnerable people who are sitting there and dependent upon you to not harm them. And so I, I think in the healthcare setting, the, you know, additional sort of efforts to get folks vaccinated do make some sense. A vaccine mandate is already in effect at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, which is the state's largest hospital. Coming up, a Jackson Clinic feels the full weight of America's battle over abortion rights. You're listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. Mississippi's legal battle before the U.S. Supreme Court over its 15-week abortion ban may be the catalyst to challenge the procedure altogether. MPB's Desiree Frazier reports the state's only abortion clinic is working overtime to meet the increasing demand for its services. It's a windy day as anti-abortion activists hold a prayer service outside Mississippi's only abortion clinic located in Jackson. Throughout the month of October, they are praying and fasting in hopes that abortions will be outlawed nationwide. Terry Herring is with Choose Life Mississippi. We also want people to come to the abortion clinic, people who have never been here, so that they can feel the reality of desperate women coming into this pink building with black paper wrapped around it. It's a center uh, where death takes place. And I think that sometimes it's easy to close our eyes and shut our hearts off. As anti-abortion activists worship, getting clients in and out of the clinic parking lot on a small side road takes coordination. That's where protesters gather. Dorinda Hancock is with the Pink House Defenders. 
volunteers who escort clients into the facility. They're yelling at our patients right now. They're telling our patients to go across the street to the crisis pregnancy center. They're telling them not to kill their baby. Our patients should not be subjected to that type of harassment. The U.S. Supreme Court is taking up Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban passed by the legislature in 2018. The case could pose an imminent threat to the future of Roe v. Wade. The challenge brings into question when a fetus can live outside of the womb, which is called viability. When Roe v. Wade became law in 1973, the landmark case set viability at about 24 weeks. We believe that they're going to take action because these cases have percolated for a long time. That's Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch recently discussing the issue at the state capitol. She has filed two briefs against abortion, arguing advances in science prove there is a heartbeat as early as five to six weeks gestation. Fitch also contends access to abortions is a matter of states' rights. I'd like to see Roe v. Wade overturned because I think it is not applicable. I think the viability line is so fuzzy right now. Every court has their own determination. And it's actually, this is a rule of law question. This is about returning the rule of law to the states. The state of Texas bans abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, which has pretty much shut down clinics there. Shannon Brewer at the Jackson Women's Health Organization here in Mississippi says they feel a sense of urgency to help as many women as possible. Abortions are legal up to 20 weeks in the state. The clinic provides them up to 16 weeks. We would definitely continue to do abortions until it's decided. We are currently seeing patients as much as we can, as many days as we can. We are seeing a lot of patients from Texas. A lot of patients are traveling eight, nine, up to ten hours coming here. The issue ignites passions on both sides. Abortion rights activists recently rallied outside Smithwell Stadium in Jackson. Amanda Furge of Clinton, the mother of three boys, is at the rally to support a woman's right to choose. She says she had two abortions before she got married because it was the best decision for her at the time. Furge believes Roe v. Wade will be overturned by the high court's conservative majority, but... Women will find ways to get abortions somewhere else. They will go other places or they will lean into the work that grassroots organizers are doing to prepare women for a time where we might not be able to access abortions in a clinic. Before I melt you down. Abortion rights activists at the rally say they're already working on what they call safe self-managed abortions. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear oral arguments about Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban December 1st. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Coming up, we talk medical marijuana with the ACLU. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Legislation to legalize medical marijuana in Mississippi is inching towards the finish line. 
but state leaders from the governor to the health officer to the agriculture commissioner still hope to force last minute alterations to the bill. Some officials want dosage limits adjusted. Others want to reshuffle which agencies bear responsibility for certain elements of the program. Meanwhile, prison reform advocates say a cannabis bill should take something else into account, social justice. That's especially true, they argue, in a state like Mississippi, which has aggressively prosecuted marijuana crimes for decades. Alicia Netterville is deputy director of Mississippi's ACLU. She speaks with Rob Lane. In terms of medical marijuana and how legalization of medical marijuana would impact the implications of the war on drugs would be significant. Unfortunately, we all know that the war on drugs had a devastating impact on the black community and other communities of color. And we see that those implications have also spilled over into into other communities because we have drug use abuse and distribution heavily criminalized. But legalization of marijuana is is simply not enough to remedy the harms of the decades of bad drug policies. So we're we're hoping that any legislation includes considerations for racial justice and equity. And we definitely believe that there is room in legalizing marijuana, whether it's medical or recreational, but definitely any forms of legalization of drugs should have a restorative justice component. Any concerns about who will have access to growing and selling cannabis in the state and therefore making money off of it? And is there a blueprint you would prescribe that you would hope the legislature follows to make sure that everyone has a seat at the table? In terms of some some policy recommendations for restorative justice, the um, non-exclusion of people who have been formerly incarcerated to exclude them from participation in the marijuana industry would just be a continuation of the adverse implications of the criminalization of marijuana. So um, we, what we're looking for in legislation would be um, cost of obtaining licenses, that the cost is fair and that it is um, accessible to more people than just a few, um, which is what we saw in some of the draft legislation last session that um, you had to have astronomical amounts of liquid assets. And it, it was it would have been very difficult for someone who had been incarcerated for using marijuana or possessing marijuana to even get their foot in the door to participate in the industry. But we definitely do believe that small business ownership and entrepreneurship should be directly related to eviscerate some of these long-lasting implications of the war on drugs. I know, uh, needless to say, Mississippi is not the first state in the nation to legalize medical marijuana. It's following in the footsteps of many, many states before it. Are there any programs in any specific states that you would point to as what you would consider as a strong blueprint for a medical marijuana model that sort of lives up to the ACLU's values and your values? I do know that there are some states that have explored forgiving, um, for example, forgiving 
criminal justice debt, fines and fees that are associated with marijuana, that would be a very good start. Um, because when we look at the implications of criminal justice debt, the top of that list is that fines and fees, you know, make people more likely to fail at, at successful re- reintegration when they're released. And it also leaves reincarceration hanging over their heads. So it's, it's a symptom of this overall, um, the overall implications of criminalizing marijuana. So each one of those symptoms would need to be addressed. And another one is expungement. Some states have opted to once marijuana is legalized, that people should no longer have a, criminal record, an arrest or a conviction for marijuana possession on their records. So they're offering automatic clemency, automatic expungement of those arrests and convictions on their record, or even um, lessening the or making the process easier or free or lower cost than, than what our expungement laws allow today. This oh, that's Alicia Netterfield of is she's the deputy director of the ACLU of Mississippi. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.